always stay connected with 99.9% .9 reliable Sky Broadband. Switch your home to Sky Broadband today. See sky.ie for more. What was your dream job when you were younger? A movie star, an astronaut, a famous footballer perhaps? Some people have always known what they want to be and from a very young age they're determined to get there. Just like 28-year-old doctor Victoria Sinelnik. You know, it started when I was like five years old or six years old. Um, I liked giving uh, stuffed animals injections. I liked uh, <laughs> treating healthy kittens into even more healthy kittens. So whatever I could treat and get my hands on, I would. <laughs> and since then, of course, as any teenager going through puberty, I changed my mind a few times. But eventually I got back to medicine. I like helping people. In January 2022, Victoria finally finished her medical studies and was looking forward to a bright future as a doctor, specialising in neurology. But then, the war broke out in Ukraine and she made the decision to come to Ireland. Uh, we heard that EU opened up uh, its borders to Ukrainians, and including Ireland. And seeing as this is the country that it has been my kind of like a dream country to go to, first of all. Second of all, I knew that uh, doctors are in high demand in Ireland due to the shortage of staff and the fact that Irish doctors leave Ireland constantly. I thought that my, my profession would be in high demand. And while doctors are in high demand here, what Victoria didn't realise is how difficult it can be for foreign nationals to register with the Irish Medical Council. There's a lot of hoops to jump through, even at a time when the Irish healthcare system is crying out for more staff. About two weeks ago, I went to the Medical Council uh, with a friend of mine so to ask what would be the steps uh, that we would need to take in order to uh, complete our diploma confirmation and we were told about the P-Lab, press three exams and what we need to do. Um, just the only issue is that it's in Belfast, <laughs> and which is a part of UK. I'm Sarah Khapalak and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, why are Ukrainian doctors struggling to find work in Ireland? Victoria, how long did your medical training in Ukraine take? And when exactly did you qualify? Okay, so I started my study in 2012, but I started it in Crimea. So after a year and a half of studying, I had to transfer from in 2014 when the events happened in Crimea. I resumed my uh, courses in Summa State University, where I finished it in 2020. And then in August 2020, I started my, my specialty training in neurology, and I finished it on uh, January 31st, 2022. Tell me, what was it like in 2014 having to leave Crimea and having to put your studies on hold at that point? It was extremely stressful. I was on the verge of breaking up um, and kind of like giving up on everything. Um, <laughs> but my family, they were really supportive. They uh, in, Like in the beginning, they were all pushing at me to go to uh, law or linguistics somewhere, but they understood my passion in the end and they, they supported me through that. So uh, because of their support and uh, even though I lost a year and a half, I still decided to continue my study and become a doctor. Anyways. So in January 2022, you just finished your training. And before the Russian invasion, had you started working? Where were you at that point? In February, I started um, 
collecting my documents and making sure that I have everything in order uh, in order to apply somewhere uh, to work somewhere abroad. Where did you want to work abroad? Actually, Ireland. Why Ireland? Um, well, um, not to butter you guys up, but I love <laughs> Ireland. Um, the people have been incredible in, over here, and we've heard and I've heard multiple stories, and I've been researching before. I was thinking about the countries where I can go, English-speaking countries, and Ireland was appealing to me, and I was getting back to it like time after time after time because honestly, I just I love it here. And where were you, Victoria, when the Russian invasion happened at the end of February? And what did you do as the violence started to intensify? Oh, my God. So I was actually... Um so I was, I have a, I had a part-time job and um, I was working about on an American time frame. So um, I had to work night shifts and actually I was working on that one between 23rd and 24th. And I came home at around like 5 a.m. when this whole thing was starting. And I had a, like a bad feeling and my younger sister, she's 16 at the moment. She was actually living with me at the time. Um, we started hearing BAMs from different sides right and uh, we live on the eighth floor which was scary and we had no idea what's going on to be honest i thought somebody was partying really hard in, like into the morning but then we started hearing news like we were at war and i'm like at war with what i honestly had no idea i was so um enclosed in, in my work education i had no time to follow any news or social media so for me it was shock and news and then i had to wake my sister up and i had to tell her that the war started we can't go anywhere uh we booked a ticket to warsaw on the 25th of february but it got cancelled uh due to the fact that our city was uh under siege since um evening of February 24th and we had to stay under siege. Nobody was allowed in or out of the city till March 8th. So when did you finally leave and where did you go? I went with my sister. She was my priority. And so on the day um, when we were supposed to leave on the 8th of March, um, we left to Poltava. And then from Poltava, we went to Lvov. And from Lvov, we went to Poland. We stayed in Sopot, which is a city near Gdansk. And then from Gdansk, we came to Ireland on the 22nd of March. Victoria is just one of the more than 200 Ukrainian doctors who have recently arrived in Ireland and who are now looking to work in the Irish healthcare system. They are being helped by Dr. Nicholas Stefanovic, who is acting as a liaison between the group and the HSC. Nick, these doctors want to work in the Irish healthcare system, which, as we know, is in desperate need of more healthcare workers, but they can't. Why is that? So I suppose there are multiple barriers facing um, these doctors after they've arrived in Ireland. So I think for the first time in Ireland's history, we're faced with emergency legislation at EU-wide level known as the Temporary Protection Directive, which facilitates Ukrainian citizens and citizens of other countries who may have been working in Ukraine to come to Ireland and have the same employment rights as other EU citizens. But medicine, I suppose, as, as a profession is quite heavily regulated and it's that regulatory piece is, that is one of the main challenges and main barriers. So as things stand right now, these doctors, first of all, 
understandably, many of them have a language barrier, and that is what they're currently working on, is, is learning English. Um, but subsequently, there are several regulatory barriers with the Irish Medical Council, because before practicing as a physician or a surgeon or a psychiatrist in Ireland, one has to register with the Irish Medical Council. And it's that regulatory registration piece that, that is proving to be quite challenging as it stands. Nick, why did you decide to offer support to these Ukrainian doctors and how did you reach them when they arrived? Yeah, so I suppose I myself, um, I was born in Lithuania. I came to Ireland as as a child and I grew up in County Clare and then subsequently studied in Trinity College and have been working in St. James's in Kilkenny ever since. Um, but I suppose I'm in a quite privileged position in that because I was born in what is now the ex-Soviet Union, I speak Russian fluently. Um, as would most Ukrainian doctors. So most of us would speak our own local language. In my case, it's Lithuanian. And in their case, it would be Ukrainian. But a lot of um, ex-USSR people from the ex-USSR would speak Russian as well fluently. And I think that when the war and the crisis in Ukraine started, a lot of us kind of felt an impetus to do something we can to help. You know, we kind of wanted to to volunteer our time. You know, many people offered their homes, their accommodation, their skills to support Ukrainian migrants coming to Ireland. So I just joined the general volunteer group and then very rapidly it became um, apparent that within that group there was a substantial number of healthcare professionals and I saw myself as being in quite a privileged position in that I'm an Irish citizen, I'm an Irish trained doctor, I work in Ireland, I understand the Irish healthcare system quite well, but as well as that, that language barrier is not is not there and I'm in that position to help them from that that particular perspective. So Nick, could you talk me through some of the barriers that you've touched on that these Ukrainian doctors are facing? You mentioned language, but it's also the exams they have to take. And there's a cost factor as well, right? Absolutely. And that's that's a kind of massive factor. So step one would involve an examination of their documents, of their primary medical degree, of any postgraduate qualifications they have. You know, we have people here with master's degrees. We have people here with PhDs in their particular areas as well, which would all have to be kind of examined at a, at a document level, you know, and make sure that all of their qualifications are verified on paper. But following on from that, they have to pass two exams, one of which is a written exam and one of which is a practical exam, essentially. The issue is in Ireland, we do not have our own written exam. And therefore, as a proxy for that, we are currently using either the British, the American, the Australian or the Canadian exam. And many of those exams cost up to two and a half thousand euro to sit. There are further issues in that the British exam, for example, or the Canadian exam, you cannot sit them in Ireland and you would have to travel to the UK as the closest test centre in order to sit those exams in the first place. And again, visa difficulties may be, may, may kind of come on board as well as, you know, language difficulties and also learning the material. If a doctor is successful and passes one of those exams, you know, which can run into several thousand euro, they then become eligible to sit the Irish practical exam. Again, issues with that include things like the Irish exam is not scheduled for 2022 so far, so there are no dates. And furthermore, there is a further financial um, implication and cost associated with running these exams. As well as that, we kind of have to think about the content of the exams. So if somebody has been practicing, for example, as a neurologist for the past 25 years, they have to not only sit these exams in a foreign language, but they have to go back and relearn, for example, the basics of management of hip fractures. And, you know, we may be asking 
consultants who have been managing epilepsy, for example, or multiple sclerosis for the past 20 years in Ukraine to go back to basics and ask, well, how would you manage a hip fracture or, for example, you know, labor and delivery or, you know, basic pediatrics and kind of to go back and really see what are we assessing them on and, you know, what, what will the purpose of those examinations be as well? You know, a certain level of examination and qualification recognition is very important, but as things stand, there are multiple barriers to um, to registration for these particular healthcare professionals. And as their sort of unofficial representative, these doctors, you've been in contact with the HSC and the Irish Medical Council. What have they been telling you about efforts to speed up the system in any way for these doctors? So the Medical Council have put together a dedicated website and a dedicated page on the Medical Council website with a dedicated contact point. Um, and they are very much, I suppose, adamant that every case is going to be assessed on a case by case basis. But as things stand following a review of the registration systems, I think the regulatory and the legislative framework in, in Ireland means that the system is as it stands. We do have, I suppose, a, a, another mechanism that we're currently trying to explore, which is something called supervised registration, which is whereby regardless of a doctor of a Ukrainian doctor's seniority or standing, they would be employed in a supervised post under direct supervision of a consultant at a far more junior level for a period of time, rather than proceeding with general registration, which seems to be the, the, the only option as it stands. And this is something that in fact may be more appropriate because it means we ease them into our system. You know, we don't just tell them pass these exams and you're good to go wherever you want in Ireland. You know, it may be the fact that these posts are dedicated and created for them in their specialty in an appropriate supervised environment at a junior level. And kind of, you know, we, we take it from there as opposed to, you know, prove you're competent in everything and then you can, you can work in as, as whatever you would like, which is, which is what the current system would facilitate them to, it would facilitate general registration. Um, and, and, and I think that's, that's really what, what we're working towards at the moment. Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. Hey! Get out of here! I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. I'd imagine many of these doctors never imagined leaving Ukraine and they would hope that they would be back in Ukraine sooner rather than later. Of course, all depending on what happens with the war. What kind of problems would that cause if, if if steps were taken to integrate them into the system and then in six months to a year, they decided, okay, now it's safe to go back. I'm going to go back. So I suppose, again, it would be very much a, a case by case basis, you know, um, having spoken to two to different doctors, there are there are some people who you know, want to stay in Ireland long term as well and who want to eventually obtain permanent residency and continue their medical careers in Ireland and in Europe. There are, of course, others who do want to go back as as soon as possible. And I think that really at this stage, it's probably a little bit too early to tell as to, as to what kind of an impact it would cause um, because it's very much a case-by-case scenario and we don't know what's going to happen with the war in the future and how long it will last. Um, but regardless of that, I think that even the short-term benefits of having that bonus of 200 
healthcare professionals in the system for a year would be of huge benefit. We saw something like that with COVID, for example, when there was an extra 200 intern posts created for medical graduates. Um, and that boost of 200 extra interns on the ground for that particular year in Ireland was really felt. And, you know, in terms of the, the workload and, and um, the shortage of doctors that we face within the HSE. So I think that the HSE also stands to benefit from including as many healthcare professionals as, as they can within, within our system. What about other European countries? How are they doing when it comes to registering and integrating doctors into their systems? And what can Ireland be learning from them? Italy, for example, has been a wonderful leader on this, and they have recognized Ukrainian medical qualifications for the purposes of registration since the 21st of March. You know, an official government announcement has been made at that time. France has similarly followed suit. So the Minister for Health, Olivier Varane in France, has made an announcement that they will do exactly that, which is provide supervised junior level registration, allow these doctors to work at a junior level for a temporary period, provided they speak an adequate level of French and or English. Um, and, and in that regard, they have been, they've been quite, quite good. Um, and, you know, these doctors are working in those countries and kind of anecdotally, you know, Austria, Romania, Poland, Germany have all done similar things. So work is ongoing at, at an EU level. And I do think it's very well worth looking to our EU neighbors to see what is being done and how it's being done. Finally, Nick, how long do you think these Ukrainian doctors will wait around? Or is there a risk that if we take too long in supporting their registration process and helping them integrate into our health system, that they may actually leave and go to somewhere like Italy or France when they hear there are better options available there? So I think that that is something that, you know, it, it, it very much has to be taken into consideration, you know, and, and, and I think it's something that we do very much run a risk of. I think that people will decide on an individual basis. And I think that Ireland has been absolutely phenomenal in many other ways with regards to providing accommodation, providing social supports, providing medical cards, providing a very comprehensive, you know, um, package for migrants from, from a war torn country very, very quickly and very rapidly. And I think we do have to, I suppose, um, pat ourselves on the back for, for, for that, for lack of a better word. Um, but I think that as, as the situation does become more protracted, you know, you do have to balance, you know, the benefits of having that particular package that, that they have at the moment versus the, I suppose, struggles they face with continuous unemployment and with uncertainty and with geographic uncertainty, because a lot of the accommodation they're in at the moment is not permanent. They may be moved from City West to Monaghan and then from Monaghan to Cork on a month to month basis employment would offer stability and would offer somebody the opportunity to pay for their own housing, pay for their own childcare, for example. And Ireland has to, I suppose, be aware of the fact that we may may risk losing these healthcare professionals to other EU countries as well. Victoria, how does it feel having spent so many years over the past decade, essentially, training to become a doctor, and now suddenly you're caught up in this situation where there's a war in your home country, you've moved to a foreign country and you can't work. How does that make you feel? It just, it doesn't feel right. That's, that's what it, that, that's what it is. And I mean, we do understand, like 80% of us, we understand that each diploma has to be confirmed. We understand that we need a time to adjust because the medicine, you know, the names, the active ingredients in the medicines would be the same, but the treatment would be different and the name of the medicines would be different. So, you know, on one hand, we do understand that there is an adjustment process that needs to be made, but we also think that it's a bit much <laughs> at this point. 
yeah, what what are other Ukrainian doctors saying to you about and what do you think needs to be done to speed up this process now? I think what has to be done and what my friends think that have to be done is perhaps simplifying the process, maybe making like one unified exam that we have to take. Uh, of course, we have to prove our level of English. There is there is no question about it because we will be working with English speaking patients, right? Uh, but perhaps maybe not this two-step process. Maybe there is something that can be organized in Dublin locally, for example, right? And it can be one unified exam. It may uh, include like, you know, your specialty trainer or general practitioner training to at least give us the ability uh, to work as GPs. We don't mind confirming our diplomas. Victoria, thanks so much for speaking to us today. That's all for today. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan. In the news, we'll be back on Friday. 